Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. What about potential threats to the game industry? Like what scares you? What concerns you? Well, I mean, I, I think the the main threat that I've been seeing over the past um, five years is probably the same threat everyone else is seeing, which is like mm-hmm. this just insane... F- Welcome to Game Dev Advice, the game developers podcast, your place for resources and in-depth conversations with other game development professionals. I'm your host, John J.P. Podlasic. I've worked at 10 different game companies, starting back in 1989 with the TurboGrafx-16. Over the decades, I've developed games like Mortal Kombat, Avengers Initiative, Beavis and Butthead, and numerous others. I now work for a startup called Level X. But this podcast isn't about me. It's about you and the game development community. So if you have questions or ideas, give a call 224-484-7733 or go to the gamedevadvice.com website. So let's kick things off with the new Game Dev Advice. Tonight's guest is Dan Nicolaitis. Dan graduated from the University of Illinois in computer science. Great school and has been in the gaming industry for 15 years. He's well known for being an Unreal Engine guru and has worked for companies like Midway Games, Warner Brothers, Day One Studios, Phosphor Game Studio, and Symmetric Games. His game credits include Mortal Kombat, Stranglehold, Man of Steel, Gears of War, NBC's Heroes, World War Z, WWE Immortals, Nether, Outpost Zero, and more. Dan's currently the CEO of Symmetric Games and the CTO of Studio 369, working as the tech director on their upcoming game, Metalcore. I think you'll enjoy his insights. Quick PSA, take COVID seriously, especially this new Omicron variant. I'm in the middle of recovering from a breakthrough case, having been vaxxed and boosted, and just thankful to be here at home recovering and not in a hospital or a hospital ICU. Be safe out there. Hey, so where are you calling in from tonight, Dan? Uh, I'm from uh, my basement in Chicago, sunny Chicago. (laughs) Sunny December Chicago, that's right. (laughs) Exactly, and I'm from my basement in the the sunny Chicago suburbs. Uh, So yeah, we're probably not too, too, too far apart. Well, cool, thanks for being on tonight. Um, Tell me about your current role at Studio 369. Yeah, so I'm the um, the CTO and co-founder of Studio 369 and um, kind of lead development efforts um, on our current upcoming title, Metalcore. Mm-hmm. And I've um, uh, been doing this, been, been working here for almost two years now. Wow. Uh, we got our start uh, with a relatively small team. Um, mm-hmm. Some of my co-founders and I, uh, I, I believe, you know, Vic Lopez um, and... Yeah. Uh, and Matt Candler and a handful of other people who were helping to support um, the the uh, interesting and and odd saga of Rune Two mm-hmm. launched in in uh, November of 2019 and then was immediately abandoned and we Which were game? brought in Rune Two. 
Oh, Rune 2. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we, we were brought in to kind of help kind of salvage, basically like reclaim the source code, try figure out how to make builds again and mm-hmm. fix bugs and make updates. And we kind of parlayed that into like a full year of like re-implementing the entire campaign and wow. and making drastic combat changes and really doing a, a ton of a ton of new content for it. And we kind of grew from a handful, like three or four people up to about 10 people supporting that. Mm-hmm. And um, then at the end of 2020, this opportunity, uh, we kind of moved away from that. And this opportunity to work on Metalcore started to kind of materialize. And uh, that's what we've been doing since. Cool. You want to give an overview of uh, Metalcore? Yeah. So it's basically, um, we haven't seen a game like uh, Planetside 2 in, in over a decade. And I was, mm-hmm. I was seriously addicted to that game for a long time. <laughs> Uh, and I think, you know, we, I've always wanted to work on some kind of large scale, like mixed arms combat game with tons of players and it mm-hmm. more, more specifically some sort of large, like persistent faction war type thing. And so we started developing a concept mm-hmm. for that. And then we were approached by a team of, uh, blockchain investors who had an idea of, can we take that game and basically make it with NFTs? And we were like, yeah, we can figure out a way to make this work. And we kind of designed the economy around it. And um, it's essentially a free-to-play you know, economy, and, we, and we're building the game, but with, with NFTs, essentially, right? So, so at its basic level, it's like you know, your Battlefield 2040, 2042 or Planet Side 2 experience where you're, mm-hmm. you're in a large-scale battle with tons of people on your, on your team, and you're trying to assault bases, and you know, you're piloting tanks and aircraft and giant mechs um or you're running it as infantry um and uh yeah it's it's uh, a super fun concept and i think we're really really out of something yeah and um john cooper aka chainsaw is there right so i saw he was in new york uh, yeah he's our design director who you know probably from the midway oh yeah yeah midway and level x yeah chainsaw oh yeah 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 Yeah, he was at level x too you know i'll i'll be straight up like i i get these emails three, four, five times a week mm-hmm. from people like reaching out, like, I want to talk about this person, do blockchain, NFT, esports, you know? And I'm always like, eh, I need to research that. Like, I, I don't know who these people yeah. are. And when I saw the email, you know, and it was like, wait a minute, Dan, it, okay, this feels legit. I, I This is legit. Like, I want to <laughs> talk to these guys, right? So yeah. I, I, I want to get my head around this. And so that's why I like replied because I swear I, I just get bombarded with these emails and I was like Mac warriors, you know, NFTs, people I trust. Okay, I want to find out about this. So thank you for um, you know reaching out. Yeah, it's it's such an interesting space. I think there's like so much you know so much that very few people understand about it. And mm-hmm. I, I'll I won't claim to understand everything about it either. But I think the more you dive into it, the more I think it starts to become clear that there is something of interest that you can explore here and that's i think that's what we're trying to do yeah and you've got a seller team you mentioned victor who's great and chainsaw and other folks so you know i'm i'm old enough to remember back when the mech oh god what the hell is that called literally this was back in the late 80s early 90s when you would go to in chicago where you would sit in the machines that were running amigas that was doing mech commander stuff uh that george gomez had designed um yeah yeah way back you know just the idea of just being in this giant robot and doing uh controlling things and launching missiles and stuff was really appealing so i think you're on a great concept there 
it's a genre that I personally have never worked in before, but we have some team members who who have worked on like Mech Warrior 2 and and uh, you know have done a lot of mech games. Um and so mm-hmm. I'm really excited about the and it's 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 more than just a mech game, right? I feel like we yeah. we keep um kind of lapsing into this kind of easy parlance of oh, it's a mech game and and but the more that the design has kind of evolved into really a, a mixed arms infantry plus all types of vehicles hmm. um somehow we still can't get away from calling it a mech game and saying you're piloting mechs <laughs> like right, right. i guess that's the coolest part of the game so every, that's what everyone wants to talk about but I'm, i always have to be like i have to correct yeah. myself and be like it's not a mech game it's not a mech you know if you've got dune buggies with rockets you know that's yeah. cool too right so it's right. like it's there's got some variety in there so yeah so in terms of your journey like we've known each other for a while but i've never heard your story like how did you get started in the game industry yeah, so I started um, back in like 2005 at Midway in uh, their ATG, their Advanced Technology Group. So ah, I was kind of okay, a, Ed Keenan. Yeah, I was under Ed Keenan, right? Yeah, Ed yeah, Keenan. Ed's a friend of mine. Uh, yeah. And I worked with like Dan Coleman and a bunch of ah, people Coleman's in, that, awesome. in that group. And why do know, I not know this? Damn it! I, 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 I'm, that's terrible. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm good friends with him. He was a groomsman at my wedding, and like, wow. uh, so after my stint in ATG, where I was working on like Stranglehold, and I worked mm-hmm. on Wheelman and Vegas, and a couple of other projects at midway that you know half of the half of which got canceled right um and then i moved to a game team an internal uh kind of prototype team called hero which i'm not sure if you oh yeah i remember that yeah yeah so i was working with chips and and jared prano and jack mamias and a a couple of the people on that team Mm -hmm. um and dan coleman was was uh was there and um cool and and you know we yeah we i think we had something really special on that team it was one of my one of my favorite projects to work on uh Mm -hmm. because i was still relatively new to the industry and it was the project with the biggest kind of grand vision that i was ambitious yeah definitely extremely ambitious and probably too too ambitious but (laughs) i think you know we were always hoping that we would find some core element of like amazing fun and that midway would uh would see that you know shining gem and then throw more money at it and then as it turns out instead it collapsed and went into bankruptcy but uh yeah uh, yeah, and then i I kind of after that happened i kind of worked on this uh mortal Kombat team for a while and Mm -hmm. um shortly thereafter left for phosphor so around 2010 i left wb uh at which was WB at the time, yeah. To, okay, so, uh, so you you were around for the transition stuff because I left. Yeah, I was around for the 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 acquisition by W by Warner Brothers, and uh-huh. I worked on Strangle. I actually worked on the Stranglehold um, action adventure, like an internal action adventure prototype that yeah, was going to be like that. a. But yeah, and and then that got canceled. So I I went from like canceled project to canceled project at, at Midway slash Warner Brothers, and I was like, I'm I'm sick of this. I want to yeah yeah so ship something exactly. So that's when I joined Phosphor uh, with the idea being like, hey if we work on smaller titles with shorter kind of cycles mm-hmm. and you know more mobile titles and etc like i could hopefully get a couple of games out it turns out that over the next couple of years i shipped like 15 games with phosphor so that was <laughs> that was the correct read uh, there were other issues there but <laughs> pendulum swing <laughs> right right so yeah so that's basically been my my story and then and then i, I left phosphor in 2016 to start my studio which eventually kind of became studio 369 so you know thinking back to 2005 and like what do you wish you had known when you started as an engineer uh, by Bitcoin, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I, I wish yeah. I'd known. Like, so th- there are a few kind of lessons, that, like kind of hard fought lessons that I've learned mm-hmm. uh, over my career. And probably some of them, maybe I took a little bit too long to learn. And mm-hmm. one of the early ones that, you know, took me a couple of years to really learn was kind of not to be intimidated by things that I didn't think I knew how to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, you know, having more faith in myself to be able to figure something out. Like often, okay. you know, you know, like I, I, I'd see these like incredible programmers that I worked with, like Steve Anakini and Dan Coleman and, 
Mm, yeah. and, you know, Nate Mefford and, and stuff like these people in, in ATG. Yeah, Nate, these yeah, guys yeah. are geniuses and right. like, I'm never going to be able to do what they do. And then, you know, one day, you know, Anakini asked me to do something that was like actually quite intense and difficult. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll try. And it turned mm. out I could. And I was like, all right, maybe there's like more to this than like maybe I should have a little bit more faith in myself and my abilities to like figure stuff out that I didn't think I'd be able to. Um, and it's just kind of taught me not to, um, shy away from the really hard problems. Fear the unknown. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I I guess the second one would be just how to continue to grow. Um, Mm -hmm. and this is something that I'm still kind of, I guess, learning, uh, to a degree is, is like having the right growth mindset in my career and like, uh, you know, doing the right types of reading and researching the right types of things. And like all the best, you know, engineers and game developers that I know are still like, rabid learners. And I think like kind of, you know, going from their examples and and kind of learning that, you know, these are things that I, that I did learn, but like the sooner you learn them, I think the better off you are. Everybody who's smart knows they're just a work in progress, right? Like the the people that think they've got it all figured out and just check out at the end of the day and zone out, you know, they're they're not going to last because it is about growth mindset and trying to figure things out. And the evolution and getting better at what you do and what you, what your craft is and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, and sometimes that changes over the course of your career. I mean, like yeah. you know, if you're like myself, going from being like a, a like an engine programmer essentially to a mm-hmm. engineering manager, the problems I face nowadays are not. I mean, I still do a lot of programming, but yeah. the problems I face nowadays are very different problems I faced when I was like a couple of years into the industry. Right. Um, and the things I have to learn now are different from the things I had to learn then, right? So mm-hmm. you know, that evolves too. And, and you have to understand that it's evolving and change with it and not just be like, well, that's how I've always done everything before and that's just how I do it now. Like, yeah. you have to evolve, uh, evolve or die, right? Like, that's, that's right. the deal. So, what about, you know, advice you would give someone looking at the first job now here in 2021 as an engineer? Well, definitely to get their first job, like out of out of school or or whatever, um, or even if you haven't gone to school. I mean, really, honestly, um, having a degree is less important, in my opinion, to getting a good game industry job than knowing an engine. Mm-hmm. I think knowing an engine is like the number one most important thing, and really, you have to figure out what types of games you want to work on, what types of companies do you want to work for, and yeah. if you learn the tools that. If you have a, a kind of a, a company in in your sites and like a target for like, okay, I want to work for this company in, in three years, mm-hmm. um, learn the programming languages, the tools, such as you can. I mean, some of them use proprietary internal engines. You can't really do much about yeah, that. Yeah, right, right. But, um, but your, your best bet is, you know, learn UE4. Um, you know, if you want to work at Epic, learn UE4, right? Yeah. If you want to work for a company that's, you know, an indie game company, learn Unity. Um, and that, and that's by far the best thing that you can do to prepare yourself for getting a job. Yeah. I agree with that with one preface. It's like, I think it's key to understand the engines and really get deep into them, but to also have some kind of foundation. Um, because I do see these resumes will be like, you need a developer. And then, um, they know how to poke the thing to get output, but they don't understand under the hood. So yeah, yeah, have, yeah. They don't you have need, like the math, and then all of a sudden you send them a test, and they just boom. Yeah, bomb. yeah. You so. you need to learn it in the right way. I mean, you can't. Yeah. You have to. You have to learn how to work within an engine. I should. I should kind of amend my statement. Mm-hmm. You should. You need to learn how to work within an engine in the most professional and correct way you can. And in many cases, that means learning a programming language, like learning C plus plus, is in my opinion a necessity if you're going to be a U four developer. 
Right. Um, C sharp you know, for Unity. And- or C sharp for Unity. Um, and if it, like, it's not enough to just know your way around the editor or like the, the you know, the GUI of the mm-hmm. end. Like, yeah, you absolutely need to know how to get things done under the hood. Right. So I, yeah, I, t- I totally agree. And what about an engineer two, four, six years into their career, aspiring CTO? Like, you know, what kind of advice uh, would you give them for their career? It's a good, really good question. I mean, I think from my perspective, the best move I made was to leave a giant company and join a, a relatively smaller team. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in many cases, people will find that, you know, it's it's much harder to grow in a giant organization uh, in terms of like your career path. Yeah. Um, you know, there's exceptions to that rule. I mean, if you're somehow like on a leadership track within a large organization, then maybe that's something that you worked out for yourself and that, and that'll mm-hmm. work. Right. But yeah. in my, in, you know, in my experience, it, I would certainly consider like taking that risk and saying, could I jump onto a 10 person team and lead that team? And, you know, I, right. there's tons of, there's tons of indie teams out there looking for someone with four oh. years of experience who, who are like, yeah, you can be our lead programmer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, That's good advice too, because it'll teach you to stretch outside your comfort zone and not just plot along uh, and doing the normal thing, but like try and solve a lot of problems because it's like, um, yeah, figure it out. Right. You know, there's no right. like, well, I'm going to check with this person and we'll have a status meeting about the thing. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I've, I've, I've learned that as a kind of a, a lead, really what your responsibility is besides the, the whole, like, you know, make sure that everyone knows their tasks and is has the right opportunity to grow and you know basically investing in your team members um what you like from a more technical perspective like if you're a working lead like in many cases a lead programmer or a cto in a small studio Mm -hmm. ends up having to to spend a significant amount of of their time programming um most of the time what that will end up being is the stuff that nobody else wants to do but is still very necessary <laughs> for the project right. so you know that's one thing for you to understand like if you if that's your if that's where you want to kind of go in your career you have to be prepared to okay i guess i'm the one who's implementing the build bot and the build mach- build scripts and right like, you know jenkins here i come right yeah exactly yeah learn jenkins learn you know learn perforce, perforce like totally. right like no, nobody else is going to do that if you're in nope. a small team you have to do that right so yeah, that, I mean, that's that's been my experience is like taking all of those annoying tasks that nobody else wants to do that aren't as quote unquote fun. That's a good mindset, too, because, yeah, people don't want to do that. And like the people like, that spent too long, maybe at a big studio, like, well, that's beneath me. I don't deal with that. Blah, blah, blah. You're like, yeah, well, shit's got to get done. Somebody's yeah, no, do nothing's beneath you, know? you in a small studio. Everything is like, yeah, as the as the lead programmer, you will be like opening a, a level and like moving some stuff around like in, you know, in a level right. and making sure that it's not interpenetrated or, or something, right? Like, yeah, all hands on deck, right? Yeah. Like you're trying to figure that stuff out. So what about your advice about developing interpersonal skills, EQ, you know, soft skills, stuff like that you kind of touched on a little bit ago? That's a good question. Um, I don't really know. I mean, I feel like I've always mm-hmm. kind of just kind of done what comes naturally to me to give specific advice, especially as you kind of transition into more of leadership role, right. um, exercise rubber ducking a lot, you know, just be there as a, mm-hmm. a person to for somebody to talk to um, and, and right. just bounce things off of. I think generally just be a good listener. That would be my advice. I don't know about particularly like developing it beside, you know, over time, you know, that, that kind of, it, it's more like just yeah comes naturally to me, but that's the mm-hmm. best advice I can give, I guess. And with time you learn wisdom, right. And you, you learn not to jump to conclusions and ask people and but, yeah you know, why about this? Why'd you make that decision there? And, and not judge and flip tables and shit. But, yeah. And um, especially yeah. in a leadership role, um, reading leadership books, like as, mm-hmm. you know, as, as uh, cliche as it sounds, I mean, like 
there are some great classic, you know, pointers for things not to do or or I, right. things to think about. You know, Any just, examples like yeah, like for example, like don't just like take something off somebody's plate when they're struggling with it, right? That that's a that's a mm. moral killer, right? Yeah, like yeah. Th- things like that, like simple things like that, um, mm. are things that you can find in a lot of leadership books that aren't even really programming specific. They're more like yeah. generally like if you want the surest way to kill someone's morale and like belief in themselves and et cetera is to like the second they start struggling be like, all right, let me do it. Right. right and right, I, right, this right. is something that I've actually like learned, you know, in my role as a parent as well. Right. Like it's not even just about, <laughs> yeah. about uh, managing programmers. It's more like when my daughter has trouble, like figuring out how to do a thing, like if I snatch it from her, that like, that's the surest way for her to be like, all right, well, I'm never trying that again. Right. So yeah, I'll sit back and someone else will solve it for me. Right. You right. Know, it's like, yeah. That's that's good advice, and um, you don't want to stifle people from figuring things out. And um, be curious, ask questions, let people figure things out. You touched on before with heroes, but like, what's been one or two of your favorite games or projects to work on? Uh, yeah, definitely. Like, hero was a big one, uh, just because of kind of like the grand kind of scope of that project, and and what was sorry, hero. I- yeah yeah like so we right. it's odd because at phosphor we worked on the heroes reborn like the nbc uh, yes that, that's right that's right that's right yeah so we yeah. did we did that which coincidentally was also another of my like uh more enjoyable projects that i've worked on that that project was super fun it was um because we were doing a yeah. it, it was a first person combat game but mm-hmm. it, it was it harkened a lot to kind of psyops combat which we uh, right i worked with very closely with um like steve elmore and steve anakini and the steve uh, a rod and a lot of the people at, at Midway yeah. who originally kind of worked on psyops um trivia and, who, who was the original producer on psyops um me what what you were oh really yes because yes, wow, cool. i'd worked with brian eddie on um arctic thunder and we were yeah, because I think Brian Eddy was like the lead, the lead on that, right? Because then he yeah. was the lead on Stranglehold, which is essentially kind of like a, it was developed in the PsyOps engine, and then kind of well, PsyOps had its own engine being developed internally, but then yeah, they switched to Unreal. Switched but, to three, yeah. yeah, but it was um, there was some overlap, and uh, yeah, I, I was producing that and working on Mortal Kombat at the same time, and my head was going to explode. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, I can't produce two games simultaneously, and that's where Alex Offerman uh, I recruited and came in and did an awesome job and is an awesome person, and shout out to Alex. But yeah, right. PsyOps, yeah, yeah. I remember. Um, yeah, and, like, and Steve Bowler was at, at the time, uh, who I Steve, believe also right. worked, I believe he worked on PsyOps too, did he? didn't he? I think so, yeah. Yeah, so he, he, so he worked he was, on Hero at, Heroes, uh, Hero at, or Heroes at Phosphor, right? Yeah, he, he worked at, so he... Uh, brought a lot of that kind of same. So the idea was to develop a, a kind of a first-person combat game, but the main character was like this teenage kid who had these powers, right, and mm-hmm. didn't use guns, but the people who were hunting them did, right? So, yeah. so you know, developing this kind of uh, very psyops-esque idea of essentially using telekinesis and mm-hmm. trickiness. We had this time travel mechanic, which was kind of interesting, where you um shifted back and forth between two different time periods in the same location okay so you'd be able to do things like pop into the past in a location grab a box go back into the future throw the box at somebody and then grab that soldier and then send him to the past where he fights with another soldier who's in the past because they're kind of two different factions and like Mm -hmm. like all kinds of like really interesting mechanics but you never like killed anyone you were just like throwing boxes and like picking up their, you know, bodies and throwing them at one another. It was all like right. telekinesis throws. Um, right. I think that was kind of my, one of my favorite games to work on um, just because mm-hmm. almost kind of inversely from, from the game hero at uh, Midway, 
the kind of abilities, the kind of scope of the abilities that we gave the player were so limited yeah. that we were forced to be really creative in terms of designing how the player used those abilities to solve problems. And I think it was just a super fun experience. So mm-hmm. I like that. Hey, hope you're enjoying the show. If you are, please go to patreon.com backslash game dev advice. We'd love to see if you can support the show and help uh, new episodes keep coming out. That's patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Thanks. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. And to go down another rabbit hole, there was, um, who is the telekinesis who would claim to... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He claimed to own the IP or have something to do with, with PSYOPs. And, and there was like oh, a really? lawsuit. And th- this gets bizarre. Like, there was literally like a lawsuit about there was game developer meetings and uh, at GDC and talking about it. And, and he claimed he had the rights. And it was like, what that's the so F bizarre. <laughs> is this guy talking about it? And I remember hearing about it from legal. And I'm like, it was so weird. I'm like, <laughs> guy claims he designed psyops or influenced that at gdc so i'm like i'm like what is he is this about so sorry it was just flashback there when you mentioned that i was just like that that's strange yeah there are so many odd stories from the midway days like there's so many like <laughs> weird things that happen with the game yeah. insert coin part two electric boogaloo uh, oh yeah yeah, yeah yeah we we uh josh so has Bay, to yeah. move it move it up to 2000 2010 and uh Get the sequel. Yeah, exactly. There's plenty of meat on the bone for that, or whatever the metaphor is. So, what are you curious about right now in the game industry? Right, like NFTs, blockchain, all that kind yeah, of stuff I'm, you got going on. Yeah, I'm curious to see where that's going to go. Uh, I'm curious to like to see like kind of how the concept of the metaverse evolves. I think that uh, so a lot of the stuff is extremely controversial. Like, there's a lot of people who are like really looking forward to it, and there's a lot of people who are really against it. And I feel like a lot of people really haven't spent the time to think critically about where it's going. I think there's there's a lot of reactionary kind of thinking um, that's kind of forming people into camps, kind of usual stuff that happens. Right, right. It's a great thing in the world or, ah, I'm I'm going to live in the woods and be a typewriter and people are very polarized. So so what, what I'm curious to see is how that the reaction to it evolves over time. Like, will it become, I mean, I I don't Mm -hmm. know whether or not blockchain gaming is going to be like the future of gaming, but if it does become more prevalent, um, is it the sort of thing that will continue to be polarizing or will people start to accept it, yeah. um, you know, as, as more main quote unquote mainstream games come out that, that feature. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I do think this is a very, like, this is the sort of story that has played out so many times with different features, right? Like with, yeah. with digital games, right? Like it, there used to be a time when people thought the idea of steam was ludicrous. Like who would, <laughs> who would, who would own a digital copy of a game instead of just, right. you know, buying it on a disc. Like I yeah, want, that's crazy talk. It's crazy. Right. And, yeah. and you know, the, and the advent of like free to play games, right. um, which purchases know, were crazy, right? Like, yeah. yeah and, and that's still controversial to a lot of people. Like, a lot of people still hate it, but there's no, there's no question that it's completely taken over the industry and is like, the Oh most, yeah. Right. popular you know model financial model for for shipping a, a huge game nowadays right, right? Yeah. in many cases not necessarily all, all the time but right. it, it, it hasn't gone away is the point 
Um, no. So, like, how is, how is blockchain going to play into that? How are how are NFTs going to play into that? And how is mm-hmm. you know um, and VR and the and the concept of a metaverse? How is that going right. to kind of play into that? Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, NFTs and does it live you know outside of the game universe? Right. Like, is you, you hear about Ubisoft? Like, yeah, we're putting NFTs, but it's on our coin and it's in our ecosystem. Like, well, that is that really? Yeah, and they're doing NFTs? it in a really odd way where they're like. Yeah, or they're like, like rewarding what? it. They're like rewarding it to only for free to players who have like uh, unlocked a set. They're basically treating them like achievements, like right. trade Ach- achievements, in app purchase achievements, right? I mean, right, right. It's like, but you're not, but you don't have to purchase it. You unlock it, but then you can sell it, which is the uh, weird thing. Which is like, mm-hmm. it's like an achievement that you can sell to someone else to say that they did the achievement, even though they didn't. It's just a really weird way of doing it. I feel like a lot of the, there's a lot of games out there that are like yeah. a lot of companies out there. I think the bigger companies are, as usual, very ill-suited to kind of fully explore <laughs> the space. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of companies out there and even smaller companies that are kind of being attracted by this idea of, well, we ha- already have a game and we already plan to like sell these items as microtransactions. Surely they can just be NFTs, right? Flip the switch and you could sell it on the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do think that a lot of people will try that. And and in most cases, it'll feel like not that compelling. Yeah. Um, right. But I, but I, but I do think like, for, like our team and there's a, a number of other teams who are kind of approaching this from the ground up. Mm-hmm. We have a pretty interesting kind of use case and take on it. If we, if we can pull off what we want to do, which is a big if mm-hmm. long term, um, you know, I think uh, the ideas that we that we have are ideas that a lot of people are like, well, I don't really like NFTs and games unless they can do this. And it's like, well, that's what we want to do. Right. So, um, yeah, like in particular, the idea of uh, like a lot of people are saying, for example, for the Ubisoft stuff is like, mm-hmm. this is only really cool if these cosmetic items or whatever they're going to sell as NFTs are things that you can then use in every one of their games. Right. I, I tend to agree with that sentiment. And that's what we're trying to do. Like we're trying to become, you know, this like big, you know, company that's releases many, many games. And if you bought one NFT in one of our games, you can use it in any one of our games. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, that that, like this kind of idea of we're, what we're calling an in, internally interoperable metaverse, by which we mean a bunch of games that we build on the same kind of core ecosystem, core economy, mm-hmm. because the, the kind of metaverse where that people, I think most people are talking about is like, you buy something in Fortnite and you can also use it in Call of Duty. To me, mm-hmm. that's, that's far away. And that's very yeah. unlikely to gain widespread adoption just from a business perspective. Yeah. I, I, might, I might be wrong, but even if it does, it's, it's a really, really long way away from people figuring out how to do it and then also adopting it and retrofitting it into all their huge games. Mm-hmm. But what people can do and what we're trying to do right now is just say, well, every game that we make will be able to use these things in that, right? right. So- and, and that analogy almost feels like, you know, cross-play 10 years ago or, you know, like, what if I can play on this console against this other or on the PC, right. you know, and people are like, that's crazy talk. But it was like, yeah, but it's a good idea. And then over time, over time, over time, over time, you know, it started to take shape. What about potential threats to the game industry? Like what scares you? What concerns you? Well, I mean, I think the the main threat that I've been seeing over the past um, five years is probably the same threat everyone else is seeing, which is like mm-hmm. this just insane flood of content um, and, the, and yeah. how difficult it is for for like professional developers to kind of rise head and shoulders above that and and make their game known i mean especially on mm-hmm. steam i mean to me steam is is essentially a dead platform i mean yeah. from unless unless you're 
you're able to spend millions of dollars on marketing, don't don't bother releasing your game on Steam. I mean, you're you're not going to be successful unless you're extremely lucky, right? Unless you're yeah. like very lucky and your game goes viral, even if it's a good game. Like there used to be a time when yeah. good games at least had like an almost you know semi guaranteed like minimum floor of of what they would sell, even like with poor marketing and poor word of mouth. Like yeah. hey, it's a good game, it's going to get like decent review scores and it's going to pop It'll up translate, on the translate, right? Yeah, and and it'll translate to X number of units minimum and and stuff like that. I don't think that happens anymore. Mm. Like, there's the odd outlier, but if you look at like the number of games released by quality teams that that literally sell less than like a thousand units, Mm. as just how many literally you know thousands of games are releasing every day on Steam, it's like right. How do you you know? And I'm talking about like as a as an indie developer. I mean, obviously, like you know, big name AAA publishers are still going to be do fine on Steam, but like. As an indie developer without access to infinite money, like how do you make your game known? Well, and it feels almost like free to play, right? Because for a while there, build the dreams, build the game, and you know people will come. And now right. it's just unless you've got you know truckloads of money to throw a user acquisition, like yeah, how, how do you get the eyeballs, yeah, to get the traction to get the you know business to work? And yeah, there, there's always those outliers and the you know. Five Nights at Freddy's or whatever, you know, cool stuff like that, which is like, hell yeah, that's cool. But yeah. for the most part, it's like you need, you know, right. of money. To I mean, I can tell you there's knowledge. probably like 20 other games like Five Nights at Freddy's that that sold, you know, a dozen units. Right. Right. And, exactly. And like it's I, lightning yeah. in a bottle or, or like one in a million, you, you know. <laughs> right. So, right. Yeah. You are way better off as an indie developer trying to like get in tight with like somebody at Microsoft or like, mm-hmm. get, Epic, like or... publish a Switch game or like try and get in on a at this point, get in on a console or on some sort of like more niche device than you are on steam i I truly believe that like i don't think any indie developer has any business trying to release a game on steam unless they they already have traction or unless they've already like proven that they're going to be a viral hit then Mm -hmm. then go for it right but if your if your goal is like nobody really knows about us but we're gonna we have a really good game and we're gonna release it on steam and make money like you're not gonna yeah that's kind of and i think that's a shame like like that's it but i don't really know how the industry is going to really quote unquote recover from that so i mean this is kind of the world we live in now so and part of it is you know the bar is just so low right like you know well it's so easy to make a game nowadays i mean like flappy bird right like and like that (laughs) you know that's that's a mobile game but like there's no reason why you can't make a pc game with it with a relatively similar amount of effort right like that that kind of idea of like yeah you know uh, asset flips and marketplace you know reskins and etc is like it's real and it happens all the time and like how do you compete with that what about thoughts on AR and VR, right? Like, were you around for Brookhaven? At, at uh, I was around for Brookhaven. We're actually okay. developing a VR game right now for Facebook. Hmm. It's, uh, it's, it is, it, it was kind of like the, where we got our start on Metalcore. So we started developing okay. a mech game for Facebook, for Oculus, um, hmm. or Quest 2. Um, yeah. And then we kind of built the foundational systems for making a mech game. And we kind of parlayed that into the kind of basis of metalcore so that's how kind of we, we kind of got our start on uh metalcore uh is like reusing cool. a lot of those systems but that game is gonna ship in like early q2 of 2022 mm-hmm. um i think vr is like right on the cusp but i think it's actually starting to get close to being financially viable if like facebook and like the manufacturers who are making like the commercially available headsets like quest 2 yeah keep at it and maybe like you know uh, you know come up with one more version or i think we're like 
a couple years down the line from it actually being a financially viable platform to release games on and like sell yeah. units for. That's my personal opinion. I, I think we're really close to mm-hmm. it being like a legitimately fun gaming platform. I'm not saying Quest 2 is not fun. I'm saying that like yeah. it's still challenging enough to develop games for it that it makes it very, very difficult to develop a really, really good game for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that turns a lot of developers off. And I, But I do think that we're only like a version or two away from it being like, uh, widespread enough thing that people will start flocking to it yeah more mass market and yeah it i'm torn on this right like I, i've seen the power of you know like the vibe and and like wow this is really cool and then it's like okay let's think about this you, you need uh you know a four thousand dollar laptop cameras a six hundred dollar vibe uh yeah i don't think tethered you know, vr is the, is the future no personally. it's just, it's just there's too many, it's too much friction. Man. To me, yeah, friction. to me, it's going to be either Facebook or some competitor or someone figuring out how to make a $300 standalone device right. that, you know, runs an Android OS that is powerful enough to, you know, roughly mm-hmm. compete with like modern mobile devices or, or like, you know, yeah. one or two generation old consoles. And then that's going to be like the killer thing that just unlocks right. the market. Right. It's being untethered and price point, right? You know, th- those right. are the two things. And, you know, it's just, I'll be straight up, skimmy hesitation just because there is the Facebook connection and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm always like, uh, you know, I'm not a Luddite, but it's always like, I feel a little weird about that. So um, just like, what, what does, what do they do with that data? And can you trust the Zuckerberg? You, you yeah. Know, so, <laughs> yeah, um, I will say I do. I do think the Quest Two is the best headset on the market right now, like for your money. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Because like you can run it tethered if you want to, but like in terms of a standalone headset, you know, and then it's basically as good, almost as good as anything else. I mean, the resolution is not quite up there on par with some of the higher end headsets, but for three hundred bucks, mm-hmm. I mean, it, there's some really fun stuff that you can do with the Quest Two, and like mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 definitely accessible to like a, a mass market audience. So I do think this is what I'm getting at with like I think Quest Three or maybe Quest Four is going to be like the. Yeah, the I really do one. think that yeah. in the next couple of years, that's going to be the one that really breaks through. And you hear about Apple and AR and stuff. So I'm kind of an Apple fanboy, so I'm always kind of curious about that. But then you know, price points always an issue, right? Because Apple always. Um, Prices things expensive, so it's like, what's that going to be at? But yeah, it, it, it's interesting times right now to see how this all shakes out. So, what about a funny or odd story from working in the game industry? Because I'm sure you don't have any of those, uh, especially <laughs> um, working at Midway. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think most of the ones working uh, from from my Midway days are are like borderline illegal, and so probably shouldn't, shouldn't share those. I mean, like honestly, a lot of them are just, right. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of my fun stories and their odd stories come from, I mean, there's a lot of like the tragic comedy stuff, right? Which is like the type <laughs> of stuff that like is only really funny in, in, in retrospect where it's like it, yeah. it gets canceled like the day before it's supposed to launch. And it's like, why would you, why would you do, you know, that yeah, yeah. Kind of thing? But we went this um, far, right? Yeah. 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 It, like there's literally no more, like you're saving 5% of the total development cost by canceling it now. Great. Good job. Um, yeah. But, uh, but like, yeah, I mean, like, um, I mean, uh, over the past, past couple of years i can like mm-hmm. transition to working from home for myself has been kind of like an odd an odd journey especially having kids at home yeah uh, especially like during covid where there's definitely like been times when like my mm-hmm. daughter's like mashing on the keyboard and like checking in like <laughs> n- not code and like breaking the build and it's like what right. the hell are you doing you know <laughs> um just like crazy stuff where it's like i, I swear it was my daughter who who, who did that right um, <laughs> That's funny. but uh but yeah, I mean, like, I, I think the, the best part of the game industry for me has been like all the friends that I've made along the way and all the fun like times we've had together. So 
mm-hmm. probably 90% of the stories I tell you would be, would be more like better suited to like an inside joke amongst friends. Right. So no. And, and that's right too. Like, um, it's, it's the people, right? Like yeah. I, I had a track record of getting burned out in the industry and every decade being like, Right, that, right. I'm Leaving out. and coming back, and yeah, and then I go off and work more in corporate America, and it's like everyone talks about their lawn fertilizer, and uh, <laughs> like, well, right. I played golf over the weekend. I'm like, uh, boring. Game industry people yeah. are truly the best people. Is what yeah, they are, and, and and that's why GDC is is so cool because it's like a big reunion, right? And all these people that you've been around and develop relationships and and been through the trenches, you get together and share stories and drinks and and catch up so yeah it is um it is kind of like we're our own tribe right like um yeah yeah and it's hard to to break out of that Uh, all of its flaws included right like this industry has so many effing problems but still (laughs) you know what about uh games you're playing right now that you're excited about um let's see i mean now you know i'm i'm an old man now i'm my late 30s <laughs> i'm older than you <laughs> yeah i know um but like uh, i you know I, I have so so much less time to play games now that i i tend to kind of mm-hmm. fall back to my kind of comfort games uh which for the past you know close to a decade has been dota 2 um ah, okay yeah so i i you know i follow along the the uh the international every year and like you know follow wow. all the competitions and stuff uh you know watching them on twitch and whatnot so it, it's mm-hmm. more it's more um i do still play but i i'm definitely more of like a consumer of streaming content nowadays when it comes to games just because i i I can usually like do that and do something else like cook dinner or something for my kids you know like it's it's that sort of thing where it's like you know if i I can't play the game i don't have time to play so i I instead i'll like listen to a you know a a cast of somebody play us playing right so Mm. this is my life now (laughs) no there was um uh bennett at uh phosphor that was huge in a dota 2 right like oh yeah uh, peter peter and peter bennett yeah like um yeah, a couple of people back at Phosphor were really, really into Dota 2 um, yeah. back in the day. But like, yeah, I, it's more of just like a, I've been at it for so long now that I'm just kind of like invested in, in the team mm-hmm. or the personalities and stuff. So it's more about like watching watching people I know play and, or that's not cool. that I really know, but, you know, that I follow play. Know of. Yeah. 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 Right. No, that's great. Is there anything I should have asked you about but didn't? I don't know. I mean, I, th- I feel like we covered most of the stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, my experience about kind of founding my own studio, maybe um, um, raised a little bit of money. We ended up finding a publisher. We hired some people and, yeah. and kind of that that experience was like a very extremely stressful, but also extremely rewarding period of my life. Even though the game, the game was like, um, mm. this is kind of, you know, we launched in 2019 on Steam as an indie game right so this is kind of like my you know going back to my like don't bother launching a game on steam we were probably one of the luckier ones even though we didn't re we weren't really financially successful we still sold like 50 to sixty thousand units which is like Hmm. a lot more than most people do on steam nowadays right so we you know i wouldn't say that it was successful but i was still really happy with the end product of of, of what we accomplished as like a small scrappy team of like you know Mm -hmm. maybe seven or eight people total yeah um i guess with any story in the in the industry like there's always like some aspect of it that you're really you're really happy about and you're really like and then there's some aspect of it that's just like an utter heartbreak i mean i don't (laughs) know maybe there's some people who have only positive stories coming out of the industry but i feel like i don't trust them i don't know no i don't don't trust them for a second (laughs) this industry is full of heartbreak and it's like overcoming adversity and and doing cool shit in spite of x y or z so yeah you know the fact that you broke off and and started that studio and you know vic was remote that's cool um and you know hats off to you for doing that because 
it's not easy, right? Like, yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was tough. And it, it, um, you know, it was, it was, was, um, there was a lot of anxiety around it, but I think ultimately it it taught us a lot about like, you know, about ourselves, about what we can do and like what we like to do, you know, you know, it was ultimately like a really rewarding experience. And that it's, it's the reason why I'm, I am where I am now. Right. And I'm, you know, really happy to be here. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And in those things, yeah, you grow from that. Right. And it's like, okay, I've been through that. If everything is, you know, rainbows and unicorns and stuff. Yeah. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Exactly. I that's funny you say that. I I, <laughs> I say that almost weekly, right? Like it's just like, yeah, it exactly what it is. And and then that you learn from that and then um you get better and then you grow, right? Uh, otherwise yeah. you're just stumbling through life. La 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 la. And you know, it's like you don't know what the hell's going on. So where can people find you online? Like website, Twitter? So our studio website is uh, 369.fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can also check out our, our game website, which is metalcoregame.com. I'm on Twitter, Dan underscore Nicolaitis. I tweet like, almost never, but uh, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, occasionally. Uh, and then mm-hmm. um, I think the best way to kind of uh, interact with us, I believe in, this is one thing that I really learned striking off on our own is um, mm-hmm. how like closely interacting with the community how valuable it is especially yeah. like with the kind of small early adopter community mm-hmm. um, and right now we have a discord server cool. discord.gg slash metalcore nft if you want to like hop on that server you can talk to us directly i literally have do like weekly amas on there i wow, that's uh, great i like interact with anybody who has a question i i try mm-hmm. to answer it so yeah i mean you you guys can can check that out and we yeah. have a really cool like relatively small i mean re- i mean we got about five thousand people in there now so it's not that small but no uh, it's not small at all it's wow. uh but it, yeah it's it's a it's kind of a growing uh enthusiastic community that's it, it's really great and welcoming so yeah hop in and check it out and you do um spend more time on uh, discord because there is so much exciting interesting cool like connecting people type stuff and i tend to go down the twitter rabbit hole and um look at hashtags and yeah we do like all of our angry communication stuff. on discord like honestly like every day like discord is my most used app i mean anytime yeah. somebody is like hey get on slack i'm like oh i don't want to like <laughs> you know then right. they're like we have a zoom meeting or we have like the, the worst is when we you have to like talk to somebody from facebook and they force you to do like a blue jeans you know like yeah. everybody every like major How about microsoft teams like, yeah microsoft up, teams man. or whatever and it's like that's i just good. just let me do discord because that's the only <laughs> thing i want to use and it is kind of a thrashing to have all these different things going it's like let's just focus on one or two and not have six apps running to communicate so last question, like what's one piece of advice you give others working in the industry right now? I guess I would say try and find something to like that you can kind of aspire to and, and that will motivate you and, and make you feel mm-hmm. kind of refreshed and invigorated in, in your line of work because this industry can be really tough on you. It can, it can kind of contribute yeah. to burnout, you know, like, yeah. like figuring out how to find that thing that you really want to kind of, you know, that you really want to reach for and, and, and work for. Um, mm-hmm. And if you don't have it, then don't, don't kind of stick in, in some sort of like dead end situation that it like is not providing that for you like don't be afraid to figure something else out for yourself and make a move and and find something that really kind of satisfies that that continued curiosity and willingness to to uh or or, or desire to grow and learn and solve interesting problems and work with cool people and stuff like that i mean like Mm -hmm. find that wherever it is in the industry because otherwise there's no way to there's no way to survive this yeah if you're just like bouncing along like a like a pinball on a play field you're just going to get destroyed right like 
you know, it's, it's kind of like find your why, right? And, and I think of the um, person I found yeah. on LinkedIn, like, um, what's his name? Simon Sinek? Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what is your North Star? And like, what do you do that you don't feel like you just got put through the meat grinder when you do it all day, but it, it does invigorate you and makes you excited? There's a, there's a huge demand for game developers out there nowadays. I mean, it's like the most growing. Mm-hmm. Field. And if you're if you have any experience whatsoever, I mean, like, honestly, like, if, if you're not happy with your job, you can probably do better. So I guess this is yeah. like the, uh, a wake up call to everybody who's like, should I start putting my resume out there? Do it. Find something that really inspires right. you and excites you. Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Like this has been the um, the accelerator, right? Like COVID has proven like, oh, this will take five or 10 years. It's like, hell no. <sighs> like yeah. we just threw gas in this fire. So people, you can get hired all over the country, all over the world to do things. And it, the companies that are smart and embrace that. Um, are fine with that. So you don't have to be like trudging in the office every day and like, well, I can't work for that company because I don't live in that state and blah, blah, blah. It's like, this is like a giant flipping of the the game board almost. Like, I don't know. Yeah, apply for your dream job. Do it today. Yeah. And um, don't be afraid, right? Like this this is the time to to break out and do stuff because this is like a huge reckoning that I've never seen. You know, I got in the industry in 89 and I've never seen anything like this going on right now with just so many people moving around and so much change happening because it is it's a new landscape, right? The world is totally different here. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time, Dan. Um, yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Game Dev Advice, the Game Developers Podcast. Go to the website at gamedevadvice.com and you can find the show notes along with show notes for all the other episodes. Please also check out the new Patreon page at patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Have a lot of options up there for how you can support the show. Again, that's patreon.com backslash game dev advice. Thanks again for listening and being part of the show. Take care. Bye-bye.